Finally, the young pastor I was with, the Cuban pastor, said, you're asking the wrong questions. He says, approaches we've made to better our country haven't worked. The real question is who, who can deliver us from this? And as a church, we have the answer, and that answer is Jesus Christ. Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today a report from Cuba as we'll talk with a veteran Canadian missionary who feels called to building God's kingdom in that communist-led country. Thanks for joining us for this week's conversation. Our goal is to talk with people from all walks of life who give us a perspective on how the Lord works in this world through those who love and serve Him. If you've never visited our website for additional information, I hope you will do that soon. At firstpersoninterview.com, you'll learn more about today's program. Plus, there's an audio archive of our past programs to listen to at any time and a schedule of what's coming up in the weeks ahead. It's all at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, today's guest has asked that I use only Dario as his name. I've known this man for several years and have taken two authorized trips into Cuba with him to witness what God is doing through the church, even in the midst of an oppressive communist government. As a Canadian missionary, Dario has taken well over 100 trips into Cuba, serving pastors and churches as he goes. So I don't know anyone who has a better view of what's happening spiritually in that country. We began, though, by talking about his call as a missionary. Well... I worked for a number of years as a firefighter in uh, Canada, and then I felt this tremendous burden to go onto the mission field, and we trained as uh, missionaries with uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, went into first Costa Rica to learn Spanish, and then on to Peru, where we were part of a team that planted a number of churches under the Encounter with God program. And then during that time, at the height of the Civil War with... uh, between uh, Peru and the uh, the two uh, communist factions, Sendero Luminoso and also Tupac Amaru were the two factions. Uh, ministry was curtailed and, for the most part, shut down, and we knew we wouldn't have a public ministry there again. So God began to burden my heart with Cuba, and uh, that happened in um, probably about 1989-1990, and then um, when we returned home from the field because of uh, heightened civil war right in the uh, capital city, then we began to see God orchestrate and open doors for us to begin to become involved in ministry uh, with, at that time, 56 denominations in Cuba, now up to 61. So. Wow. That all happened in the early 90s. Well, I want to hear more about that, but let me take you back to Peru for a moment. You you really came uh, face-to-face with the violence there, didn't you? Well, we saw, yeah, we, uh, uh, on one day there were 55 banks destroyed. Uh, our family saw the uh, uh, a number of assassinations. Uh, the head of the Peruvian Senate was, my wife and children witnessed his assassination mm. five doors down from our house, mm. so... Uh, our we our own church was infiltrated by a shining path where uh, senderistas came into the uh, into the church and so we were forced to withdraw from ministry both by our own mission but also by the uh, national workers said it's too dangerous for us to, for you to for for us for you to be there so um, so we had to curtail our ministry there and began to ask God where next hmm. and. Uh, but that was, you know, in, in those days, 25% of the land mass, or 25% of the population, and uh, almost 30% of the land mass was under the control of 
either one or both of those uh, communist factions. It really has become almost a cliche that when God closes one door, he opens another, but that's what you experienced, isn't it? For, for sure, totally, Wayne. Um, and, and God began to give us a great burden for Cuba because we knew very little about it. Uh, we knew that it was a communist country and that the uh, church had been curtailed um, and that there was very little growth. There had been a missionary movement, um, oh, some... 40 years before, but really um, it had become a national movement. Any kind of church growth was slow and, and uh, curtailed. So um, we God put the burden on, and we began to pray for two years uh, to what seemed like heavens of brass, but then as God began to uh, connect us with uh, Cubans who were leaders at that time, then the doors began to open and we began to move into that country and and what has become 20 years of ministry there. Yeah, we're primarily interested in the advance of the gospel in Cuba, but let's just talk politically for a moment. Of course, you know, Castro is still alive at the time of this uh, conversation. His brother is in charge. What what do you see happening politically? Are things getting better at all? Raul's a different man than Fidel. When Fidel became sick with this intestinal disorder, and uh, really, for the next number of years, Raul stepped in in uh, 2008. But when uh, uh, he opens his mouth, you could hear Fidel speaking. Now, uh, Raul's not the orator or charismatic uh, leader that Fidel was. And he's already named his successor uh, four years from now. Uh, but Fidel is really, he's so sick, he hasn't been seen publicly for some time now, and of course with uh, Hugo with uh, Chavez out of the uh, limelight, it's it, it seems like um, they are opening up more and more to um, international trade, and and so things are changing in Cuba slowly. But um, hardship. There's two friends of um, of revival or a great awakening in a country. One is hardship and suffering. The other is persecution. Mm -hmm. And the greatest, I think the greatest move of God in Cuba was in the early 90s when Russia pulled back uh, $10.5 billion of support and the country had nowhere to turn. The people had nowhere to turn. They realized their politicians couldn't help them. And so over in those years, in that decade of the 90s, people were desperate for any kind of outside help. And... Um, I had a young leader asked, uh, uh, a pastor I had brought in, asked, you know, he was asking, you know, why? You know, why is uh, the average wage only uh, $15 a month? And uh, why are people, why is it that people have very little in the way of food or, or opportunities? And, and finally, the, the young pastor I was with, the Cuban pastor, said, you're asking the wrong questions. He says, everybody knows why. You know, the, the system is taxed. Um, the approaches we've made to better our country haven't worked. The real question is who who can deliver us from this? And as a church, we have the answer, and that answer is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so at that time, in 97, the uh, uh, Fidel Castro invited the Pope to come in and gave, give the first uh, religious ceremony in the country and over... 45 years, and then a year and a half later, the evangelical church was allowed to have 22 evangelical celebrations in all of the major cities of Cuba, 
four of them broadcast on national TV, and that removed the fear from the people when they saw Fidel Castro in the Plaza of the Revolution in the heart of Havana uh, celebrating the Christian Church and Christianity, and people began in droves to move into the Church, and many coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and then the fear was removed, and the church literally exploded. Hmm. So that's been the, that's somewhat of the backdrop of uh, how Cuba came to be one of the fastest growing countries for the gospel uh, in the Americas. So what is it like for the average Cuban now? There is much economic hardship and suffering, I know, but w- what is life like in Cuba? Well, things are changing under Raul. There's a there's a, a, a real uh, limited free market economy. They would love to pattern themselves after China, but they don't have the resources. Uh, uh, things are very difficult. There's about uh, 155 centrales, or sugar refineries, in Cuba, but 80 of them have been shut down. The um, equipment is antiquated and old, and sugar prices... Uh, took quite a dip. Now they're starting to grow and become stronger. So during that time, uh, Cuba was trying to find what what could uh, rescue them financially. They they found huge uh, nickel uh, find in and around Moa. They've also uh, probably maybe four years ago they found huge oil reserves in the Gulf of Mexico. They're in the stages of developing that. But uh, that's other than that, tourism has been the great uh, economic savior outside of uh, the mining because it brings in cash into the country. The United States is one of Cuba's largest trading partners, and it's goods on the back end for cash on the front end. And so uh, you have a lot of uh, shiploads of fresh fruit and vegetables, uh, chicken, uh, those type of things coming into Cuba now, and slowly that embargo is diminishing, but it, it could still be another year or two yet before it's totally gone. We'll continue talking with Dario and what God is doing in the country of Cuba, coming up today on First Person. Next time, a troubled teen in the 60s found the peace he was looking for. I made bad choices because I was living away from God, but I see God's hand in my life. Even when I didn't know he was pursuing me, he was chasing me down, and I eventually surrendered to him, and just an absolute amazing thing. Rick McClary was seeking peace and a way out of Vietnam when he tuned into Billy Graham on television. You'll hear his story next time on First Person. Today on First Person, a look at the country of Cuba through the eyes of a brother. I'm calling him Dario. He is a Canadian. And uh, actually, we spent a couple of trips together in Cuba. It's been a few years now, but uh, I've never forgotten that experience. I know things are changing all the time, but uh, thank you, brother, for your heart uh, for the church and what you've done. So many trips there that you've taken to, to help the church come alongside and encourage the church. It really is inspiring. Thank you, Wayne. Uh, it's you know, uh, Cuba's been a country of great passion for me, and you see uh, a country where the literacy rate is equal to uh, Canada, the U.S., and more doctors per capita than any country in the world. Yet, uh, fully uh, two thirds of all uh, church planters and pastors are professionals. They're leaving their careers as doctors, lawyers, architects, engineers—you name it 
to become pastors and uh, evangelists and church planters, and it's really taken the country by storm. Well, Cuba is largely mysterious to us since there hasn't been a lot of information, especially when it comes to the growth of the church that you outlined earlier that took place in the 90s and, and since. But what is happening now in the church? What are some of the challenges facing the church in Cuba now? Well, one of the biggest challenges is uh, the easing up on the embargo and Cubans now being allowed to travel. Um, what what that What that has caused is... Materialism is, uh, materialism is a great threat against the church, as you have about 1.3 million Cubans living in the United States of America, for the most part in southeast U.S., in and around Florida. But you probably have between 120 to 150,000 Cubans living in the New Jersey area, up in the uh, uh, northeast of the U.S. So many of them are now allowed to come home before there was... Uh, great restrictions on the amount of cash and uh, goods that they could bring in, uh, limited as far as technology, uh, little uh, in the ways of TVs and computers and cell phones. That's starting to happen now. But I think uh, one of the negatives uh, of all of this happening is that many Cubans now are leaving the country to visit family and then just not returning. Um, the largest and fastest-growing denominations are seeing an exodus of some of their leaders and pastors. And a dear friend of mine who was uh, overseeing over uh, 350 churches and another six to 700 house churches uh, left because a family in, um, in Hialeah area of southeast U.S., and with his wife and family, and and uh, hasn't come back, and that leaves a great vacuum in the spiritual leadership of the country. Which is interesting, because you certainly understand why they would want to escape the hardship there, but at the same time, it does uh, take a toll on the church, doesn't it? Huge. And, you know, we're seeing, um, I was just in to visit a number of uh, church planters. Uh, we're supporting close to 400 church planters in Cuba. Many of them are lay leaders who have proven that, proven themselves uh, while they're taking their seminary studies and preparation to become pastors, they are doing the work of church planning in every region of the country. They are literally, since the limitation of uh, travel, where now they can travel anywhere in the country except for Havana, uh, since that has been lifted, they are going into areas where the church has never penetrated before, and they're establishing churches and house churches. And now with the freedom to be able to buy uh, properties and even vehicles, which is only a recent event uh, uh, within the last three years, now they're able to buy a property, um, move the family in there, and the living room becomes the house church. And they are literally in excess of between churches, house churches, and missions, uh, there is in excess of 23,000 churches, house churches, and missions throughout Cuba. Much of it led and orchestrated by strong lay leadership who are preparing themselves to become pastors. Yeah, I think a lot of people may be shaking their heads right now in disbelief, the numbers you're throwing out there. We have no idea, really, in the States that, 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 that the church exists in those numbers there, and church planners exist in those numbers. Uh, much of it began in 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 the uh, first in the birthplace of of uh, Europe in Cuba, which is in Baracoa, 
with a Pentecostal pastor, he basically sent out his two first two workers, uh, Alipio Pedraza, his name was. He was fighting against the communists in, in Batista's army, but uh, as a Christian uh, and a conscientious objector to killing people, he was trumped out of the army and and uh, became a pastor in Baracoa, a Pentecostal pastor, actually. And he really started, he's really the father of uh, the church planning movement and uh, in Cuba today, but uh, it's it's now passed from the Pentecostals. And, of course, the Eastern Baptists are very strong, Western Baptists. There's a number of uh, the uh, denominations who that are church planting. But we're seeing literally an exploding growth as uh, as it started with these first two church planters who received gifts of a handful of grain, <laughs> rice and beans, Boy. and, a, and uh, a chicken or two, and that was their salary. And then by faith, they moved uh, ahead and took on five. In, in the first year, they planted five churches, those two pastors, and then it just began to explode from there. Well, when the full story is told someday, it's going to be exciting to hear. It, it, yeah, really, it sure will yeah, be. Yeah. It sure will be. Yeah, God has given you such a unique vantage point there through numerous trips and great love for the people of Cuba. What are you able to accomplish? What are some things that uh, we can learn about and pray about with you? Well, right now, Wayne, the the greatest need for Cuba uh, is for Bibles. They're the Southern Baptists, um, Roy Cooper and some of the key guys working with the Southern Baptists have, I'd say in the last four years, have sent in 200,000 uh, full Bibles, but they're nowhere to be found in the country. We don't know where they are. My suspicion is that they're being warehoused. Yeah, the once, once they get in the country, the government can decide what to do with them, right? Exactly. Yeah, and so we're we're really desperately seeking for uh, the release of those Bibles, or if we have to, to print Bibles in the country. But again, uh, as my mentor Garth Hunt used to say, uh, any move of God, unless it's undergirded with the Word of God, dies out, and and the fruit is lost. Yeah, gotta have so the Word. There's a desperate need. Yeah. yeah. Desperate need for God's word in the country. All right, I know that you also have a great burden for marriages there that, to strengthen marriages. Tell me about that. Well, you know, it started. Uh, we took a group out of uh, Charlotte called Two Becoming One Ministries. Don Meredith and Sally Meredith are the founders, uh, working for Gibbs Racing. He's the vice president for Gibbs, and they they were showed a great interest in going into Cuba. And I said, well, let's find out. Uh, if the Cubans can, what their need is for marriages. Uh, so they went in, and Don and Sally had a tremendous heart for ministry. They literally broke down and cried about how their own, own marriage was on the verge of destruction until God raised it up and, and gave them a, a real heart for marriage ministry and uh, for building uh, building the foundation of the church, which is, uh, the first thing God ordained was marriage, mm-hmm. and Cuba has the highest divorce rate in the world at 75%, uh, which is understandable because they're shipping over 30,000 medical doctors out of Cuba a year, and China has asked for another 20,000. Is that right? Wow. The, yeah. The machismo plays against it. There's no housing for new couples. There's a lot of things that play against yeah. marriage, and then it's been encouraged a loose, a loose li- lifestyle by the state. But we are going in next week to do our 17th marriage conference. We have trained Cubans. We have the books printed in-country to Becoming One, 
uh, marriage ministry. And it goes on all year long, whether we're there or not, but this will be our 17th conference of training leaders to train their own congregations and people, and then putting the uh, tools into their hands to strengthen Cuban marriages. Well, that's another lead uh, to indicate to us how to pray for you and the ministry and for the Cuban uh, church there as well. Uh, Dario, we have just uh, a minute or so left. Make this personal. Tell me about a, a pastor, a family, a believer there that you think really illustrates how we can further pray for Cuba. Well, I, I'm thinking of, uh, there's there's so many stories, There's, uh, but I uh, one story is, is of a young man who was being trained. Uh, uh, this mother was with her, um, she was a single mom, had two kids, uh, and was in an illicit relationship with the boss at the uh, factory where she worked. He had a wife and three kids. And she became pregnant, so went to have the children aborted. They aborted one of the children, mm. or they aborted they aborted the child, and and she went back to work. Well, at uh, seven months, she continued to grow. Uh, the doctor did a checkup and realized they had aborted one of a set of twins. Oh. And so she went back to get the abortion, and um, they went into the. Uh, the theater where they do the uh, the abortions, aborted the child, threw it in the garbage, and took the mother out to get cleaned up. And the nurse went back into the room to clean up and heard this noise, looked down in the garbage, and it was this oh. young boy sucking his thumb. Oh. And so she took the child out of the garbage, took it to the mother, and she said, you've just given birth to a baby boy. Mm. And... Of course, the scandal of it all, uh, she gave the child to her mother, the grandmother, to raise. Her mother was uh, both a, uh, a spiritist and a Catholic, and she wanted the child raised in the Catholic Church. Long story short, she had him going to catechism classes, but was training him in uh, Santeria. And on the way at 15, as he was going to get uh, to meet with the priest to carry on his studies, he heard lively music. It was a house church <laughs> meeting in a garage, went in, was miraculously saved, and today is one of those church planters. So uh, you can retell that story thousands of times in the lives of the Cubans, and that's just what God is doing to raise up the church and house church movement of Cuba. It may seem a little strange to you that we didn't use a full name for our guest today, but although his work and travel to Cuba is completely on the up and up, we decided not to do anything that may curtail the ministry. He did agree to today's interview, though, because the story of God at work in Cuba needs to be told. We won't be able to put a lot of additional information on our website, but you will find my contact information there, and you can email me if you do need additional information and a link to Dario's ministry in Canada. Look us up online at firstpersoninterview.com. Again, firstpersoninterview.com. Or if you prefer, you can view us on Facebook and leave your comments there at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Today's program will be archived on our website. Just click on the listen button to play it again. Or you can subscribe to First Person on iTunes at no charge and receive each week's show as a downloadable podcast. Search for First Person in the podcast section of iTunes and subscribe free of charge. Next week, you'll meet Rick McClary of the Light Radio Network, who will share his personal testimony of coming to the Lord in the turbulent 1960s. I hope you'll join us next week. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We'll see you next time for First Person. First Person.